Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse who oddly enough has no kids, yet a huge passion for informing and empowering women on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me every week as we dive in to all things prenatal, postnatal, birth, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of What The Bump. Today we're having Tom Archer on the podcast. Tom is a clinical body worker who specializes in C-section rehab, lymphatic drainage, diastasis recti, and so much more. So welcome to the podcast, Tom. I'm super excited to hear from you and learn from you. Thank you so much for having me. I've listened to a lot of your episodes and I really appreciate what you're doing. Yeah, it's good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. So let's just start off with the basics. Tell my listeners who you are and what you do or like what you offer, I guess. I, you know, I never call myself a specialist. And in anything in particular is interesting because I was having a conversation with a friend of mine earlier, and um, I really do consider myself a generalist in a lot of ways, the way I try to approach the body, because, you know, whether you're pregnant or not pregnant, or whether you have um, a scar to, to, that needs some help, or um, abdominal issues that need help, there's lots of just common principles in between all of those things, I the things that I have studied to help me understand what I what to do or how to help people who have a diastasis or uh, scar abdominal scarring or or a post you know postpartum like the C section business or really any surgical scar, a lot of it has to do with the lymphatic system. And just some understanding around how scar tissue forms and how to see when there's a problem and what that problem actually is. I think that a lot of folks see scars and they think, I really have to dig into this thing and I really have to like break it up or soften it up like that somehow. And in, in my opinion, that is not the way to go at all. When there is a surgical incision in the body, then the body has to quickly feed and nourish that injury, that trauma. And it also has to be able to do cleanup around that trauma. And one of the ways it does that is through the lymphatic system. So the lymphatic system, if you know the listeners don't know, is like the water system of the body. So we have blood you know, in our veins, and then we have lymph which is this, uh, the water that is in the in-between spaces that is slurped up into this particular system called the lymphatic system where the water is cleaned out and then introduced back into the bloodstream. Well, that water has particular pathways in and around the body. And when there's a surgical incision, the body has to reroute those pathways or the body gets, can get confused on where those pathways are supposed to go. And you can get stagnation around those incisions and or you'll have a flow in those position in those around those incisions that aren't that isn't optimal for the body so it could start to collect around and you'll have puffiness or it will it will reroute in a way that maybe crosses some nerves or has some gets what's called a, a neurolymphatic congestion to where the lymph actually congests the nerves and you could have pain from that, just from fluid traveling the wrong way. So uh, rerouting and helping that, that water go where it's supposed to go and flow where it's supposed to go is one of the things that I do manually. 
So how did you become passionate about this line of work? Like what got you into, you know, think like specialized or not generalizing in like the lymphatic system, C-section rehab, scar, um, I guess, scar rehab, things like that. What, What got you interested and passionate about all that? So, you know, a lot of my clients don't know this because I don't share it all the time. So you get to hear this, I guess, and whoever's listening. So I have had several abdominal surgeries because um, I have a genetic condition called Lynch syndrome, which you, I don't know if you've heard of, but it's a rare condition. It means you essentially you grow cancer really well in your colon or in your urethelial lining. So somewhere in somewhere along that area, like uh, through your kidneys, your ureters, that kind of thing. So I had cancer twice and had to have my left kidney removed. And I had to have my uh, part of my sigmoid colon removed. Oh, wow. So, which is, as you know, as a nurse, those are huge, major surgeries, right? Right. And there's lots of incisions that happen. They don't do that laparoscopically. You know, there's, it's open surgery. Right. I needed rehab afterwards and it was not offered Mm. and I asked for it and I asked for help and you know, there really wasn't a lot of help and people didn't know. And I had already started working with lymph and lymph and doing uh, another thing that I'll talk about later called visceral manipulation, but I had already started learning that stuff and then working with my own scars and understanding how they function and go and being curious about, this is numb here. What does numbness really mean in the body? You know, numbness doesn't necessarily mean the nerves are cut. Right. Numb, the, the, the brain registers numbness from hypoxia, you know, when there's not enough oxygen or when there's a blood flow issue or a fluid flow issue, that can all register as numbness or pain or something. The brain, you know, can get confused with those things. So me working with myself and uh, searching other things, like I even had a diastasis for a little while because of the surgeries. So I had to figure out like, how am I supposed to control this? What am I supposed to do? How was my body supposed to behave really, you know? Right. That's, that's amazing that that's like, you know, your own personal testimony, what you went through is really what got you passionate about this line of work. And when it comes to dealing with like prenatal pregnant woman and postpartum care, what would you say are like the main complications, I guess, that you like run into or work with, with that population? Oh, yeah. So that's a really good question. So, you know, you can view the body in lots of different ways. And uh, there, if, you know, if you're orthopedist, you may look at the musculoskeletal system, and that's kind of your system that you specialize in or whatever. And you see how that's balanced or imbalanced. A lot of times it's how the systems work together to make the body. But another way to look at our structure is through a series of pressure systems. So we have a pressure system and around our brain and spinal cord. We have one in our torso where our lungs and heart are. We have one in our abdomen where our intestines are and our colon and everything, you know, all where we, our guts. And then we have one in our pelvis. And these balloons are fluid filled balloons which stack on top of each other inside of our musculoskeletal system. And they're part of our support. So when you have a baby, you introduce a whole new pressure system into your body. Yeah, definitely. And all those other pressure systems have to squish around and figure out what to do. Mm. So it's a lot of postpartum work and even pregnancy work is trying to help the body balance those pressure systems in a way that is optimal 
Right. Like how is the pelvis on top of the abdomen? How is the baby sitting? How does the rib cage stack on top of that? Mm -hmm. But there can be very subtle things that cause cause those issues that can be changed. Right. You know, with you know, very subtle manual therapy. But anyway, so that's like the major thing is understanding okay. how to rebalance the pressure systems of the body, okay. which is not like one thing, you know, yeah, but it's, it's like, it's a lot, but it's like a, it's like categorically a big thing. You know, that, to totally, look that totally makes sense though, because if you think about it, like right now, somebody who's not pregnant, all their organs and their intestines and just every, all those, like you said, those pressure systems are just situated in their body. That's how they've been for a while, but now they're all about to shift drastically as the baby grows. And then the minute they have the baby, all of a sudden they're all going to just fall back into a different spot there's going to be so much room left. So it's trying to balance how they move as you're growing the baby. And then also how they move when you have the baby. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. That I, makes, that makes sense. <laughs> so, I mean, even if, you know, I'm in a non-pregnant person, your kidneys, for instance, when every time you breathe, they translate in the body between three and six centimeters. Hmm. So that's all, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty long way that right. they travel. The liver goes up and down. The stomach goes up and down. You'll have some women, you know, when they're pregnant, they have a hard time feeling like they can't quite get a breath. Mm. And a lot of that has to do with how the pressure system of the abdomen is disrupting the operation of the diaphragm. Mm. So can you get the liver and stomach to translate down enough for the diaphragm to have just a little bit more room so that breath feels better? Right. right. You know? Yeah. Or, and even afterwards, you'll have, like, let's say, you know, during pregnancy, you'll have um, women who will have acid reflux issues, which is sometimes totally a hormonal thing, which, you know, there's nothing that I could do about that. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's more of a structural issue where the stomach gets pushed up too far because of an imbalance somewhere. And the, the esophageal sphincter, you know, that little trap door in between the stomach and the esophagus pops open. And and you get acid reflux, <laughs> right. right? So, and if you can guide the stomach back down, then you could have some relief from that until the baby grows bigger to push it back up again. You know? Yeah, right. But you can, you can have some relief from it. Yeah, so. I have acid reflux without even a big baby in me. So I am not <laughs> forward to that whatsoever. <laughs> right. So let's jump in. Cause I know a big thing that you are passionate about and talk about is cesarean section rehab. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about cesarean section rehab and specifically first tell us what is lymphatic drainage and how does that help with postpartum and cesarean section rehab healing? So earlier when I was talking about like the incision and then lymph being having to reroute. So specifically it's very light, easy manual therapy that helps to direct the fluid away from the scar to where it's supposed to go. And also the fluid in the abdomen underneath to be able to get to the deeper channels okay. of the lymphatic system. So does it almost so, on the surface look somewhat like, like physically, does it look almost like massage therapy that you'd kind of do around the scar when you talk about light pressure to move the fluid? You know, it's interesting because oftentimes I'll have my hands on somebody in one spot, you know, for five minutes to 10 minutes mm -hmm. or so. And it doesn't feel like to them that I've ever moved. And if you were to pull back and take a picture, it looks different. Hmm. Like the area will look different because we're able to get 
those um, the little collectors at the surface of the skin to open up. Too much pressure into the surface of the skin will not move the lymphatic system. So you have to be very delicate with the amount of pressure that you use, and you have to be very sensitive as to what is going on with the particular um, flows inside of the lymphatic system. So, so how does lymphatic drainage and moving that fluid away from the scar, the incision, how does that promote healing? So it promotes healing by getting fluid to move through the tissue. Mm-hmm. So anytime you have stagnation inside of a tissue, it doesn't heal right. as quickly as it could. Okay. That makes so sense. essentially you're really just getting fluid to move. Right. Then what is visceral manipulation and how does that aid in postpartum recovery as well? And kind of maybe differentiate between lymphatic drainage and visceral manipulation. So the viscera is uh, our guts and our organs and things like that. There's a particular institute that I, that I study with called the Baral Institute. And uh, it's a a French uh, osteopath came up with a particular curriculum on how to manipulate the organs. Okay, so that's a sim- that's kind of like an overview of what visceral manipulation can be thought of. You know, you're trying to do something inside of how the organs move. So there's pressure systems I was talking about in the body. They are very much regulated by how by how the organs are positioned and how membranes around those organs are positioned. Like you you you'll know like um there's this membranous bag around our guts, most of them called the parietal peritoneum Mm -hmm. and the parietal peritoneum, you know, and this is like to simplify it for, you know, non-medical people who are listening, think of it as almost like this plastic bag that's around most of your organs, Right. (laughs) but it, it sinks down into your pelvis and it has connections in places so uh, two of the main places that it connects that, af- that are affected after pregnancy are at the linea alba, which is that center line that opens inside of a diastasis issue, and also at the top of the bladder. So when you have the baby and it, it's you know in there with all your guts and moves around the, the membranous bag, it distorts how it, it has to find a pressure escape. And it does it by when that uh, parietal peritoneum gets distorted. And that's part of why the linea alba parts. And also, it's also part of why it has a hard time coming back together afterwards. So some of the first things I do with someone is to help the body try to arrange that particular structure in the body and get it to reform and bring it sort of back to midline or bring it up out of the pelvis more or back down out of the liver and out of the stomach more. So the linea alba will have a, a easier time trying to get back together. And then the body will be able to re-engage that musculature better because the body always uh, is going to prioritize organs over muscles. So if there's an organ in distress, the body, the nervous system pays way more attention to it than if the muscles in distress. So if those organs are kind of in a, in a place where it isn't optimal, things aren't going to fire around it as optimally. So, so would you say then visceral manipulation is literally like the manipulation and movement of organs, essentially, like you're, you're trying to get them back into the right space? 
yeah, sort of back into the right space, but really making sure that they are mobile inside the space that they occupy. Mm-hmm. So it's not as much as your stomach was in one place and now it's moved to another place and that's where it lives. It's more like your stomach has a range that it moves and maybe it's not moving out of the top of that range. And now it can move out of the top of that range down to the bottom of that range back up. That way it's not like messing with your massive reflex and stuff like that. (laughs) And you mentioned earlier something about um, breaking up scar tissue. And I, I mean, you hear that term, everybody's like, Oh, you got to, break up the scar tissue and you got to push on it and massage and break up the scar tissue. So I'm, I already know your answer to this, but should we break up scar <laughs> tissue and especially cesarean scar tissue? No, I don't think so. And why is that? Well, you can't really, you can't hurt yourself out of, out of pain, <laughs> you know, and you can't, and you can't trauma yourself out of trauma. So you have already something that's traumatic there and you're going to re-traumatize it to try to make it better you know, is the thought when you break up scar tissue, but that just can create, you know, worse things. The way the body, uh, besides the, the, the fluid stuff I was talking about earlier, you know, when the, when it, when the body lays down scar tissue, it's laying down collagen fibers or collagenous fibers, and it's doing it in very much a lattice work, right? It's kind of crisscross or crosshatched around a particular incision to try to patch it up. I joke and I say the body's like an overprotective mother, you know, something happened. It's like, we're never gonna let this happen again. So we gotta patch it up way too well, you know? Right. And there'll be a lot of density inside of those, where that, those collagenous fibers are together. Mm-hmm. So you can go in and very delicately try to get those fibers to rearrange and it will, open up more and there'll be more blood flow there. You'll see color changes to the scar, that kind of thing. Sometimes um, when uh, scars are raised, and I don't talk about keloid scars because that's kind of something altogether different, but uh, when scars are raised and you can get them to start to get fluid to start going through and the the collagenous fibers to start rearranging better, then uh, things will start to settle down and the tissue will start to look like a lot more like the tissues that surround it. So as far as, aside from doing actual, like breaking up of scar tissue, like massaging, what do you think of, I'm guessing massaging would kind of go with the same with breaking up tissue, but what about cupping? Because I have seen people um, do cupping on like scars, yeah. and even cesarean scars and around it, um, where they apply like the suction and it leaves that red, like hickey looking mark, I guess. What do you, right. what is your You look like you got cupping? attacked by an octopus. Yes. Right. So, you know, I think, cupping is a 3000 year old or so Chinese medicinal art. <laughs> I'm not a Chinese medicine doctor. Right. I do have friends that are, and they're really good at what they do. Like Crystal Cliff is one of them who um, has, a, has a, um, a great practice in town. If you have scar tissue and you're getting cupping for that scar tissue, I would suggest going to someone who is really well-trained. Right in how that is supposed to work. I I say this with a a little bit of knowledge about cupping, but not a huge amount. And when I've, because you're not the first person to ask me this question. Right. And what I've done is I've gone to uh, my Chinese medicine doctor friends and said, hey, so should I recommend this for that? You know, what do you think? What are you, what is your success? And some of them, some of them will say, 
you know, just make sure they know what they're doing. Another thing that I work with that causes a lot of scar tissue is breast implant illness. Mm. So ex- after explantation, there's, um, you know, you get what's called the anchor scar, or the lollipop scar, or the lollipop and the anchor scar, where they have an incision around the nipple and then an incision down and then an, an incision across the base of the breast there. And uh, I have seen more cupping success probably inside of that scenario. Okay. Than I have inside of C-section scenario. Okay. And I think one of the reasons for that is, is there's less viscera that needs to be manipulated beforehand. Right. That makes sense. Jumping to the next question. What is diastasis recti and how can we, how does that even develop and how can we fix it? Yeah. Okay. So diastasis recti or recti is the, is when the abdomen separates. So it's a separation in thinning of the fascia of the linea alba, that structure in between the two halves of the abdomen. And that's a really important distinction to say it's a thinning. It's not a hole. A hole is a hernia. You know, thinning is not a hole. It's just a thinning. So uh, just to know that there is a difference between a hernia and a a diastasis. So it happens when the body can't handle the pressure it cannot accommodate for the pressure that it has been given, yep. the load that it's like been a given. Baby. <laughs> like a baby. And you'll see it with guys too. Guys get diastasis. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that more than once. You know, the guys who uh, come in who look otherwise kind of thin, except for it looks like they're trying to smuggle a basketball, you know? Like a beer belly is what the best like way a, for me to think of it. <laughs> right. It's kind of like a beer belly, but it's really tight. Yes. Like if you press on it, it's like boing, boing, boing. It's not, it's like a basketball. It's not like, um, it's not, it doesn't feel like not like adipose fat. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't feel like fat, you know, it feels mm-hmm. like a, a pressurized ball or something. You know, they probably have a diastasis also. Is there a way to prevent that when it pertains to pregnancy? Because I, and I don't know if this is true, but I'm sure some degree of di- diastasis is going to happen during pregnancy. Yeah. Almost no matter what we do, because our stomach and abdomen, like you said, are just expanding and separating and thinning out. Right. Um, but is there a, things that we can do even while we're pregnant to prevent or at least lessen the severity? Uh, Yes and no. So oftentimes women get a diastasis because they have incredibly tight obliques. So the oblique muscles are the muscles of twisting. So, and they are connected at an angle from the linea alba out in different directions. There's two sets of obliques, right? There's the, you know, the external obliques and the internal obliques. So you'll see people who do a lot of core work and they have incredibly tight, and I don't mean mobile, and and this doesn't necessarily mean a six pack either because there's plenty of people out there who have six packs that are very mobile. I mean, too much tension in the area. So too much tension in the obliques is one of the things that will cause it. And uh, small sidetrack, and I know I'm sidetracking a lot, but small sidetrack, so... The way you get oblique dominance, which is too much tension in the obliques, is by not being able to activate the lower abdominal muscles. If you can't activate your lower abdomen, which is like the abs, you'll see people who have incredibly defined abs from their belly button to the top of their rib cage, and between their belly button and the top of their pelvis, they don't have a lot of definition. 
but they also don't have a lot of fat there. And usually it's because they have a hard time being able to activate their transverse abdominis, which is that lower abdominal, which is, a, which is an abdominal structure that compresses the abdomen. So it pulls inward. Is that why you see some people have like that coning of their abs when they do like ab workouts? Does that have to do with not being able to activate that TVA? Uh, kind of and sometimes, but that coning is just a symptom of a diastasis. That okay. means that there's the opening there. Mm. And you can slice a diastasis in a hundred different ways as far as like, what's the cause? But really, you know, it's a pressure system issue the body has an inability to regulate that pressure system and that excess pressure is popping out the linea alba. So, so doing more, cause I think a lot of people think, Oh, well, if I don't want that separation, I'll just do more ab workouts. But you're, you're kind of saying that that, that can cause more tension and almost cause it to be worse. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So I, you know, I think that really you can have very directed abdominal exercises that have to do with being able to, understand and activate that area of their abdomen like i've worked with pilates instructors who've been doing pilates for 15 20 years that have very little ability to engage their transverse abdominis and they teach people about it right so do you think would you say then that ways to prevent this or at least reduce its severity when it comes to pregnancy would be learning how to activate your tva and learning how to like engage and keep those muscles mobile yeah, yeah, and and if the TVA isn't activating, or you're you don't you can't make that connection, you got to figure out why well, can't I make that connection, right? Because then there's prob there might be another problem there because there's the pressure system of the pelvis, which will sometimes there'll be too much upward pressure from like tension in the pelvic floor for the transverse abdominis to be able to activate like it needs to, or maybe too much downward pressure from how the rib cage or the upper ab is situated mm. that causes like the body to not be able to regulate right. how not be able to hold that pressure inside of the the whole abdomen maybe they can hold it at the top but they can't hold it at, through the whole thing so when it comes to postpartum and having the diastasis is there ways that we can quicker or better i guess heal it or would it also be, you know, TVA yeah. activation? What else would you recommend? You have to get the visceral component taken care of. If the body doesn't have the organ issue repositioned or mobilized like it needs to, or that membrane mobilized, then it's really hard to get a lot of quick improvement on a diastasis. Like it can take months and months and months rather than maybe, you know, you make a big jump in like a month or two. And then after that, maybe you're doing some polishing, you know. So visceral, and would that be visceral manipulation before you start more so trying to heal the diastasis? That's what helps it the best? Yeah, okay. yeah it would be part of it. Like I'll, I'll have folks who will have like a four finger or three finger width. Oh, that's something else I should talk about. Like what's the measurements for a diastasis because people talk about width. Okay. Like my diastasis is, you know, three fingers or four fingers or two fingers or whatever it is. Width is important, but it's not nearly as important as depth. So mm -hmm. the, the gap going downward into the abdomen this way is more important than how wide it is. 
That's interesting. And why, why is because that? Because you need to be able to hold tension on the line. And if you can hold tension on the line, then you reduce the depth. So then you have control. But if you have width, that just means you have tension in the abdomen that you can come together. And also you'll see people who just have a natural wide diastasis there. They'll have or a wide linear elbow, like they'll have a couple inches or maybe two and a half fingers of, you know, and be able to hold a perfectly taut line in their linear alba, but it'll be maybe wider than you would think. And even I vividly remember a patient I had postpartum. And after you have your baby, you know, we do fundal checks where we, everybody dreads them, but where we rub that the top of your uterus making sure that, you know, your bleeding is good, that your uterus is nice and firm. And, um, and I remember doing these on a patient who I had just delivered. Um, we just delivered her baby and I, we do them every 15 minutes. And I seriously remember that the first 15 minutes I did her fundal, like I could feel like through right to her uterus the first time and it was fine. The second mm-hmm. time I could too. And then I remember that third time when I went back to do her fundal rub. So it was about 45 minutes after delivery, all of a sudden I could only feel her uterus with two of my fingers because I literally felt her abdo- her abdominal muscles and like her abdominal wall coming Pinch. back together. Yes. Yeah. Was, like the first couple of times I did them, they were still separated. So like I could reach her uterus and externally and, you know, rub it and make sure that it was nice and firm. And then by right. 45 minutes of delivery, I could barely even feel it because her abdominal wall was coming back together strong and hard and fast. And she was a very, very fit athletic person. Right. But yeah, I yeah. could barely even reach her uterus because her abdominal wall was like, I can only get two fingers through. Isn't that super cool though? It was crazy. Like how quickly the body can change. It's, mm-hmm. it's nuts. She's the only person that I've ever had it be that quick. I've had people like a couple <laughs> days postpartum where yeah. you can tell that their abdominal muscles are almost all the way back together. And it's always like crazy. Cause that's not normal for most people, but yeah, her, yeah. like significant so fast. It was, it was crazy. So I think like you were talking about prevention earlier Yes. and I wouldn't worry as much about prevention as I would worry about stability in the system. Mm. So don't think about like the, the, the dia- the diastasis is really a symptom, right? So, you know, and we want the diastasis to correct because aesthetics, you know, is one thing. Another thing is just things don't feel right. Some people have pain there, but not everybody has pain there. You know, it's, so it's a mixed bag as far as like all those symptoms. But if you think about it as stability, so if you have somebody who's pregnant, you know, and you have them try to engage, and I've got a picture of this on my Instagram where I had a, a woman who I had worked with for her, throughout her pregnancy, making sure that she could engage her abdomen to where she could really compress through, like from the belly button in, you know, making sure that she could get that in. And that's also how you're going to push the baby out. That drawing in is control and stability. So the ability to do that is really what's important. Yeah, I've seen many, I follow a couple of girls who are very popular on Instagram. And one of them is like specializes in pregnancy, like core work and especially the TVA. And she's always posting pictures when she's pregnant videos actually of her relaxed and then her activating and engaging her TVA and how her belly like just pulled in and up a little bit. It was crazy. And I have stood in the mirror. I'm not going to lie and tried a thousand times. I can't do it. <laughs> I'll be real. I can't, I don't know if I just can't activate my TVA and it has it like they say to act like you're zipping up almost or something. Right. right. I struggle. Try, so try this, try this. It's funny because a client of mine told me this. She had learned it from a pelvic floor specialist in Canada and, but we're just having this hard time trying to get her to make the connection between her brain and her TVA. Like, how can you pull this in? She worked with this lady and 
the lady had her go on her side, like go on your side and then pull your belly in. And then she was able to activate. And I swear, every single time I've tried that with somebody, it's worked. They're able to activate their TVA. Now, when I put them on their bag, they might not be able to activate it, but we have at least a starting point. Mm. So it's a little bit easier to start trying on the side, like laying on your side almost? Yeah, laying on your side. Okay. And yeah, I found, I was like, huh, that's fascinating. I didn't realize that. That's super cool. So uh, so yeah, that that's worked that's worked a, uh, several times with people that have had a hard time getting to really engage. Yeah. Uh, so give that a shot. <laughs> and, yeah, I definitely will. And you talked about how, you know, the main issue that you want to think about is like structure and control. So going off of that throughout pregnancy, as we know, and even not with pregnancy with just our modern world, our postures are absolutely terrible. Do you have any yeah. like tips and tricks to help with posture, help with that? Like, control and that structure throughout pregnancy? One of the things that you'll see is the hips will be thrust forward and like not, I'm not talking about anterior pelvic tilt. I'm talking about a shift forward to where the hip bones are in front of the ankle bones, like you're sticking your belly out. And the rib cage is tilted to where the diaphragm is pointed almost out rather than down. So the, so it's called thoracic extension. So the rib cage, rather than being straight up and down, is tilted um, backward. So training the body to get the rib cage down, and the sternum relatively flat, and then pulling the belly button in to where you can pull your hips over your ankles is how you can start to begin to figure out how those pressure systems are supposed to stack. Most of the time, though, like even like before pregnancy, people have bad posture or people have postural issues. We've been sitting since we were four, you know, more than we've been doing anything else. Right. We've had these shoes that have made our feet all crooked. We've had these problems that we've trained our body into over our lifetime. And uh, those postural issues are something that get magnified inside of pregnancy. So most of the postural issues you had in pregnancy, you had before pregnancy. And also with like your hormones in pregnancy, you know, it's allowing your muscles and your, and your, your body to relax, to expand, to grow the baby. And that just makes all your muscles relax. So a lot of people even, you know, slouch even worse and things like that. Would you say mm -hmm. that like, when it comes to, like you said, trying to kind of pull your hips back over your ankles and like more so pull your rib cage in, is that just, is the best way to do that? Just like conscious like just consciously trying and reminding yourself? I think a lot of it is awareness, but I think also a lot of it is just understanding muscle activation. And you really do need to go some, to see somebody to help you with that. Like I can tell you all day, you need to work your glutes more, but you're like, I thought it was. Like, like, how I am I supposed how. to do that? I don't know what that means. You know, I was like, well, yeah. So I'll, you know, so I'll like usually refer somebody out to, somebody who's really good at that and does not get somebody to you know work on that structure i'm better at like understanding position and maybe some more movement oriented things that kind of help you out along the way but um, if somebody needs like 
movement therapy, straight up movement therapy. And I know that's, what's going to help them. Then I have people I send them to refer them to. Okay. And I think this is really like the last big topic or discussion, but Uh, I know you do some red light therapy. Oh yeah. Yes. Tell me about red light therapy benefits and overall, you know, if it's safe for pregnancy. Okay. So I usually don't do red light therapy on pregnant women. It's not because there's any study that says that you can't because there isn't. I remember listening to an interview with a guy who does so red light therapy as part of a category of treatment called photobiomodulation, which is basically how to modulate our biology with light. <laughs> That's all it means. So there's um, so Mass Massachusetts General. They have their they have a photobiomodulation area that they you know study it or practice it. And I believe that seems something like really easy, like Michael Smith. But anyway, trying to remember, he uh, said that there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to do it, but there's no study that says that you can, because, you know, you can't do studies on people who are pregnant because that's not ethical, but chances are it's okay, (laughs) but I don't do it. Right. That makes sense. There's not a study that says you shouldn't, but there's not necessarily a study that says it's hundred percent safe and no pregnant people are volunteering to be test, test subjects. So, right, right. You can't test pregnant people. So, so even um, outside of pregnancy though, what, what, why, why do people use red light therapy? Like what so, does it do? So red light therapy is super fascinating. Our bodies, we, you know, in our cells, we have these particular enzymes that are called chromophores. So chromophores are able to accept light energy, the vibrational aspects of light and turn that into something, turn that into a benefit, a cellular benefit, usually cellular energy. So that's literally what red light therapy does. It is um, part of that spectrum that'll help the body produce energy in its in the cells at a, a what's called a mitochondrial level. So at the level of the mitochondria, which are the powerhouses or the energy producers inside the cells. So it, it one of the things that it is documented in helping is wound healing. And I think one of the reasons it helps wound healing is because, you know, you have all this vasculature that is broken inside of an incision and trying to repair itself. And it's another way to get energy inside of the cell is through light. Uh, so it helps with that. You'll see it at plastic surgeons offices sometimes, or used to it probably um, not as much now, but it was kind of trendy for a while to have it for um, fine lines, wrinkles, that sort of thing, because it helps to promote collagen and elastin formation inside the skin. One of the things that I really like to use it for is uh, nervous system downregulation. So I see people sometimes who have like, you know, anxiety things going on, or they're just really super ramped up. And, you know, in today's day and age, you can imagine why. So they need a little bit of help downregulating. And, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you turn on the light and it really helps. You're a nurse. So when you hear the term vagal, like somebody vagal, it's like totally different probably than what I'm thinking. So I think of the vagus nerve and how the vagus nerve regulates our um, ANS, our autonomic nervous system. And anytime you can take somebody outside from a more of a sympathetic nervous system area to a parasympathetic, a less fight, flight, or freeze to a more calm, you know, it's okay. You know, you're not being chased by a bear or anything right now, then you're going to really help that person (laughs) (laughs) no matter what, you know, because anytime you're more sympathetic than parasympathetic, your pain's going to be more, whatever your pain is. 
So. I feel like anything you could like want red light therapy to work for or help at least it seriously could. It, I've heard like amazing things. I have tried it a few times myself. Do you ever, I, and I always said about scars. So do you use it on postpartum like C-section scars? Yes. Okay. Cause I know you said not in pregnancy, but that wouldn't, I mean, that would, they would not be pregnant anymore. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I use it on postpartum like all the time. That's awesome. <laughs> Lastly, tell our listeners, first of all, thank you so much for sharing all that tons of information Sure. I can tell that you are very knowledgeable in what you do. And I really appreciate that. But where can people find you and connect with you? Instagram, website, anything you want to share? Yeah. So my Instagram account is bodyworker Tom. Okay. So just spelled like it sounds. <laughs> And my website is fullbodyfunction.com. And you guys definitely have to check out Tom's Instagram because he does post a lot of like before and afters, which are just really cool to look at of, you know, healing that he does with other people and his own clients. So that's always a really cool testimony to actually see that in real life of the before and after that your own clients see is really cool. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> yes, And thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. You bet. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of What the Bump. Make sure you follow us over on Instagram at What the Bump Podcast. Leave a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts and make sure you tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. There's a new episode. I really appreciate you for listening. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only and I hope you have a great day.